It's Monday, November 14, 2022, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the globe. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Hoover Institution's Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism. We're not the only Hoover Fellow podcasting these days. If you don't believe me, go to the Hoover website, which is hoover.org. Click on the tab at the top that says Commentary, then go over to uh, Multimedia, and you'll find no less than 17 podcasts, all sorts of topics, including uh, our political conversation today. You can follow and subscribe to any or all of them. You can also sign up for our monthly pod blast, which delivers the best of our work to your inbox each month. My guests today are David Brady and Doug Rivers. Dave Brady is the Davies Family Senior Fellow Emeritus at the Hoover Institution and the Bowen H. and Janice Arthur McCoy Professor of Political Science at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Doug Rivers, likewise, a Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Stanford Political Scientist. He's also the Chief Scientist at YouGov PLC, the highly respected global polling firm. Well, guys, here we are back again, 12 days ago. The three of us did an election preview podcast. Uh, I'm going to go back and edit out the last five minutes of that where we got in the actual numbers. Those never seem to hold up as we would like. But <laughs> I think we're going to start this. We're going to let Doug Rivers take a victory lap. Pollsters walk around with a kick me sign on their back. And there have been nobody more fun to beat up in the last six or so years than pollsters. How can you guys get things wrong? But Doug, you and you, Gov, got things right on Tuesday. Tell us, Tell us what you got right about this election. Well, we had the uh, Republicans uh, plus one or two in uh, final polls, uh, which I think is going to be very close to the final vote split. Um, and then the Senate races, we were basically within a point or a point and a half on all the Senate races we did. So um, I would say the polls were quite good. I have to say I didn't have confidence in them uh, two weeks ago, uh, which led to... Uh, some data-free forecasts. So I've, I've learned to stick with the data and not the vibes. So a word of caution for those listening to this podcast, we're recording on Monday afternoon in California and numbers continue to bounce around the country, especially in states like Arizona and California, where they're still uh, voting. But here's what we know right now. The Senate will be Democratic. It'll be 51-49 or another 50-50 tie, depending on what happens in the runoff in Georgia. The House, well, that's a more tricky question. Uh, it appears at this hour that Republicans will get the House back. Uh, the question is by what cushion. Uh, Dave and Doug, I've seen margins of anywhere from 222 to 221. Uh, 219 to 216 seem to be a popular guess right now. Uh, so this was not the red wave. This is more like the red wedding from Game of Thrones, wasn't it? Yeah, I think 219 is the most likely outcome at this point. Yeah. So there's an interesting history lesson here. I was doing a little sleuthing on the House of Representatives and I actually went back and discovered that in 1917, the 65th Congress, I don't think Brady was around for that, but uh, in 1917, the House ended up being 215 Republican and 214 Democrat. Uh, okay. But here's where things get tricky. When it came time for the leadership vote, there were three socialists and one progressive. They caucused with the Democrats. And so you had a Republican House majority, but a Democratic speaker. And the question moving forward is what did that congress do they are known for doing two things number one they declared war and secondly they passed the 18th amendment uh, beginning uh, the march toward prohibition so your guys thoughts on the future of congress i would hate to think that the 117th congress uh, starting in january that is two accomplishments going to be starting a global war and taking away dave brady's bourbon supply so i do want to say about the predictions on the election mm -hmm. uh, we are off on the number of house seats uh, we predicted a Democrat or a Republican majority. But on the Senate, uh, just to remember, the claim was that if the Democrats could take two of three, 
right. uh, in terms of uh, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. If they took three of two of those three, it'd be 50, uh, 50 seats. So I, I don't feel too bad about uh, I don't feel too bad about the non-data predictions either. Um, the House is uh, I wouldn't want to be uh, McCarthy, as you can see uh, already. Conservative Republicans are pushing for already major changes. They're already pushing that uh, rather than the speaker uh, have the ability to appoint the rules committee, which is crucial for the agenda of the speaker and the party. Mm -hmm. uh, they want that to be elected. They want to reintroduce the Hastert rule. They want to have uh, committees, uh, the committee chair being chosen by the caucus. And all of that is uh, to reduce the speaker's power. And in a narrow majority, we'll see what kind of promises McCarthy or whoever gets it will have to make. Well, if he has 219 members, uh, he's really in no position to push back very hard and say, no, you can't do this. He needs, he needs every vote in the caucus, plain and simple. No, but then if he goes too far, there are some moderates in the Republican Party who could object uh, if he goes too far the other way. So it'll be interesting to point out. By the way, there was one other time in the 1930 election, the Republicans had a one seat majority, but two members uh, passed away. And so James John Nance Garner became the speaker and they did nothing. Right. Hey, Doug, let's jump back in the polls for a minute here. So um Couple of couple of things which uh, you you sent to me as takeaways. To this one which caught my attention: uh, the economy. You said the economy uh, mattered less than people expected, and then secondly, candidate effects, uh, which you talked about, relatively small but important at the margin with Trump endorsed candidates running behind other Republicans in 2020. So, uh, first of all, the economy. Uh, we went into this with the narrative that inflation, the worst inflation in 40 years, the economy was going to be a driver. But you're suggesting maybe the uh, the influence of the economy was somewhat overrated. Yeah, it's political malpractice to run uh, a midterm election as the opposition party with uh, 8% inflation, 9% inflation, uh, and not to have that to be the focus of your campaign. Um, but it managed to uh, take a backseat after a while. Um, the thing I've been arguing is that the economy in general is actually having less effect than it used to um, due to uh, people in uh, opposite sides uh, of the aisle, uh, essentially having their own views of how the economy is doing that disagrees with each other. Um, but it's it's certainly the case that uh, making the issues, uh, the 2020 election being stolen uh, and secondarily abortion, um, weakened the effect of the economy. I ran the I ran the numbers on those for the latest YouGov poll, not, not the one after the election, but the one before. And mm -hmm. uh, that's correct. It turns out that if inflation was your number one issue, and remember, that's an issue where unlike uh, abortion, there's not a pro and an anti, there's nobody running on let's have more inflation. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out that the party uh, Democrats, Democrats who said inflation was the most important problem, still only about 4% of them defected to the Republican candidate, which is quite low. And then I looked at uh, the democracy and the abortion issues. Would you vote for a candidate who denied uh, who, who uh, denied that Trump lost the election? And on that and abortion, I was getting consistent uh, bumps for Democrats among independents, i.e. among independents. There was a big gain if you uh, thought Trump uh, it, you would if you said I would not vote for a, uh, someone who denied the election result. 
So I, I think uh, both abortion and abortion and sorry, and the democracy issue uh, hurt Republican candidates and it hurt them particularly in key states. One, one last point on that. I did look at the turnout numbers and in every state that had a uh, major governor uh, statewide race, uh, turnout was up uh, over the uh, national average. And in most of them, it was up over the 2018 average. Now, is that true, Dave, for both incumbent governors and open governors races? Yes, I looked at uh, I looked at Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Okay, so they Doug, all had a statewide race. So, Doug, do we have any data yet on what uh, on the effect of abortion and economy and so forth in terms of being drivers of turnout and and priority of voting? Well, it it was the case that the uh, percentage of people in the exit poll who said that abortion uh, abortion was the most important issue was. Um, my recollection was running around a third mm -hmm. uh, and higher among Democrats. Um, so, we believe those exit polls. Yeah, I kind of, but not. Really. I don't think. I don't think we're in a position to sort out at this point mm -hmm. what really had an effect. But it certainly the economy was not helpful to Democrats. Um, and uh, in the case of abortion, there were. Uh, two states, California and Vermont, that uh, liberal states that passed right. um, pro-choice initiatives by large amounts. Right. And then pro-life initiatives went down in uh, Kentucky and Montana. Michigan uh, also passed a pro. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was, uh, yeah, California, Michigan, Vermont, I believe. Uh, you know, in those places, Democrats did well uh, mm -hmm. in now, it's also the case there are states like Ohio and Tennessee and uh, Missouri and um, Texas, where Republicans did just fine, even though uh, they're living with state laws that are uh, very restrictive on abortion. Okay, let's uh, talk about candidates for a few minutes. I have a few friends in the consulting business, and they all told me on Wednesday morning that this election is a grim reminder that quality does matter. Now, where they quibble is how many points the quality of a candidate matters. They, some say two, three points. Some say as high as five. But uh, from what we've seen in the outcome, guys, um, in states like Pennsylvania, in Arizona, uh, New Hampshire, the Senate race there, uh, hard to get away from the fact that these guys ran very weak races. Well, with the exception of Vance. Yeah. I mean, the real fact are the real fact is this: uh, Republicans should be seriously asking themselves about the Trump effect, as many have, Carl Rove and others. The the fact is that Trump back candidates have done very badly. Right. They did badly in Arizona. They did badly in Pennsylvania. Uh, and if the Democrats had nominated someone who wasn't uh, defund the police and ICE uh, and uh, get rid of ICE in Wisconsin, that, that's another race they could have lost. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think it's uh, it's not just the candidate. It, it's it's a referendum on Trump and the candidates he picked. Yeah, you know, the Americans want to move on. They don't want to talk about who won the 2020 election. There are problems that need to be addressed. And they and they uh, and they thought the Trump candidates weren't doing it. 
Yeah, Doug, if you look at the uh, the numbers that Mitch McConnell uh, spent going into the general election in the fall trying to pull guys across the finish line, I think his uh, leadership pack dumped something like $30 million into Ohio. And this is a state that Trump carried by eight points. I think they dumped 20 or $25 million into North Carolina to secure the Senate race, another state that usually skews Republican and presidential elections. It seems to me, Doug, that McConnell is going to have to revisit his strategy in 2024. If you go back to 2014, he was very active in terms of trying to pick winners in Republican primaries. I remember, for example, he pumped money into Iowa to make sure Joni Ernst got the nomination, but he stayed out of primaries for the most part in 2022 and had to play catch up in the general election, trying to pull these guys across the finish line. It was not an effective strategy. Well, he's getting rewarded for it. Yeah. With... <laughs> yeah, with the coup inside I mean... the caucus. <laughs> I don't think when it's McConnell versus Trump in a Republican primary, McConnell's going to win that battle. Right. Um, you know, the Trump candidates were some of the worst candidates around, uh, and it did cost them a certain number of points. Um, you know, probably the worst was Mastriamo in Pennsylvania, uh, who ended up uh, losing by almost 15 points. Right. Um, but it's also remarkable to me that J.D. Vance, who was far from a good candidate, um, ran uh, just a couple points behind Trump in uh, 2020. Um, uh, he won by six and uh, Trump won, I believe, by eight. And yes. what was what was the margin at the top of the ticket in Ohio, Doug? For the well, <laughs> DeWine 25 won points. by uh, 20 <laughs> points yeah. uh, the, uh, against a weak candidate. Um you know, a bit of what's happening is uh, states are moving. So uh, 20 years ago, you would have said Florida and Ohio uh, are the sort of key uh, swing states. Mm -hmm. You would have said North Carolina and Wisconsin and Missouri. Uh, and those states have turned red. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, it looks like Pennsylvania and Michigan are real have turned significantly bluer than they were just a few years ago. I've yeah. seen this uh, called the Florida effect. If you looked at what happened in Florida on election night, uh, even though it's interesting, the voter registered numbers, uh, you know, New York is two to one Democrat, California is two to one Democrat. Republicans now outnumber uh, Democrats in Florida, but I think it's only by about three percentage points. So it's not an overwhelming right. majority, but you look at what DeSantis did on election night, where he got about what, 58, 59% of the vote, I think. Yeah. Um, shows you, Chris did not run a very good campaign. And it, yeah. The point yeah. is that candidates matter. Right. And he was a very good candidate. Rubio rode right. Rubio rode right on his coattails. And uh, so I think, you know, if you're a Democrat, it's it, you'd say, OK, it was a good election, a lot better than we thought. But if, if you think this election is a harbinger, the things are rosy for the Democrats. Uh, I think that's I think that's wrong. Let's it, go back to prove this bad candidates uh, running on issues related to the 2020 election and sycophantic to Donald Trump. They didn't do very well, but Republican candidates like in Georgia and in Florida who ran on their own, they did pretty well. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to McConnell on the Senate for a second. So if you want to do a glass half full take for the Republicans, let's move forward to 2024 and let's look at the landscape. It's the class one seats. There are 33 of them up for grabs in 2024. 23 are held by Democrats, uh, 10 by Republicans. There are eight incumbents right now who have not indicated they're running again. So they're going to test the winds and see what they do. Um, if you're Democrats trying to pick up seats, this is a tough landscape. I think Texas and Florida are places where maybe you can make a gain. But as we saw on Tuesday night, good luck in Florida. 
Um, but here's the challenge for Republicans, guys. I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, John Tester is up for re-election in Montana. This was, I think, a plus 16 state for Trump in uh, in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Um, Joe Manchin is up for re-election in West Virginia. That's a plus 39 state, I think, for Trump. Yeah. But these states are going to hold primaries, Dave and Doug. And what's going to happen? You're probably going to have a very mega candidate. Unless things really change in the next two years, there'll be a very mega candidate running. And he or she could get the nomination. And here we are in the same situation as we were in 2022 for Republicans. Well, on the bright side for Republicans, this taught them that uh, they're not going to win swing voters with those sorts of candidates. Right. Um, you know, there, in every defeat, there's a silver lining of you can fix what's wrong. Uh, we'll see to what extent the Republicans implode on the MAGA versus non-MAGA. I, for me, the problem is I, I think it seems clear that and some of the polls show that the governor of Florida uh, is looking better uh, than he has been at some time in a run against Trump. But but the problem is, I think there's 30, 35 percent of the Republican Party that's just hardcore mega. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you're DeSantis, you, you got to figure out a way to try and keep other people out of a primary and make it a runoff just as uh, low as possible, because that's how Trump won it in 2016. With, uh, there were 19 candidates and he I've never had more than 20, 25 percent early. So well, I've seen Republican a lot of Republican rules advantage somebody who can get 35, 40 percent of the vote. And I think it's very clear that at least that much of the Republican base still is loyal to Trump, even uh, with him losing. Yeah, what, what Doug means by the advantages is that Republicans have a lot of winner take all primaries. I'm glad you guys raised that because if you really, if the party decided enough of Donald Trump, that is the first thing you would do. You'd go back to primary primary rules and in very large states, at least try to go to something proportional. So worst case scenario, you could stop him the engine because you're right. In 2016, he just got the biggest plurality week in and week out, but got all the delegates to the point where you couldn't stop him. But yeah. um, so we're doing this podcast on the 14th and on the 15th, Donald Trump is supposed to make a big announcement. Now, Buyer beware. Uh, last Monday night, um, he was in Ohio giving a uh, a pep talk, and they're supposed to make a big announcement. Fox News uh, waited with uh, breathless anticipation for him to announce for president. It was it was embarrassing for the network. They had this scrawl across the bottom of the screen: "Major announcement expected." And after about an hour of it, they said enough, and they pulled away from it. Um, I don't want to put you in the business of predicting what he's going to do on the 15th, but let's assume that he does announce that he is running. Um, your thoughts on, first of all, what happens to the rest of the field? I, we've already saw Tom Cotton before the election say he's not running. Uh, how do you think other aspirational Republicans react to that? Well, most of them will sit back and wait and see what happens. Right. Uh, I think in DeSantis's case, though, he's it looks like he's committed to running. Right. Um, so at some point, DeSantis has to decide whether he can beat Trump head to head, which doesn't look that great, uh, or wait for something bad to happen to Trump. I thought there was a YouGov poll that showed DeSantis up by a couple points over Trump. Now, I haven't seen the poll, Doug. I'm not sure how exactly you asked it, but I thought he had like a two or three point advantage just in terms uh, of I saw some poll that had that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's ours. But yeah, my apology, I thought it was you guys. But no, there've been a lot of fly-by-night polls, which you know are put out by people of vested interest. Trump so with an eighty-point lead over DeSantis and such. My my view, my my view of that is, I'm not sure that Trump will uh, declare tonight. 
Mm -hmm. I think he was uh, put, he was counting on a much bigger uh, Republican uh, sweep, and therefore he could take credit for it. Right. And he's uh, getting a lot. He's got more criticism mm-hmm. post-election from Republicans than at any time over the period from 2015 to the present. So if I'm DeSantis, what I want to do is I want to get I want to raise money. Mm-hmm. I want to see how much money I can raise, because as uh, we all know, money isn't stupid. And people are not going to give money to a candidate who doesn't think that they're going to win. So when Tom Cotton said he wasn't going to run, I thought, "Whoa, wow!" I, I don't think he was. Uh, I don't think he was that serious a candidate. He wasn't going to raise a lot of money, uh, particularly if Trump ran. So I think with DeSantis, I'm going to look and see see how much money he's raising, and I, I think I think he's going to do reasonably well on raising money. Mm-hmm. I think the Republicans who are in the know. Uh, people who sit around and think about these things and strategists, I think they see uh, Chris Christie said he can't win again. It's fourth time he's taken him down. Chris Christie's not dumb. I, I just, uh, I, I think that the Republican strategists and the Republican elite are worried. Okay. Well, the Republican strategists generally believe that Trump is their worst candidate, that while Biden has 55% disapproval in the exit polls, Trump has 60% disapproval. Yeah, and 60, 61% in the last YouGov poll, 61% didn't want Trump to run as compared to only 56% who didn't want Biden to run. I think the Wall Street Journal exit poll added Biden at something like 67%, please don't run. But I think it had Trump at 68%, please don't yeah. run. So the idea of these two facing off in 2024. I'm looking just... forward to it. Wow. <laughs> Let's talk a bit, Dave and Doug, about the Democratic side of this uh, under the guise of fair balance. Doug, you're uh, a Democratic uh, congressman. You're a Democratic strategist. You look at these polls. You look at the results. Uh, are you dancing around right now saying we've been vindicated? Oh, you're relieved because you uh, dodged a bullet. There was widespread belief that certainly in the springtime, this was going to go very badly in a you know week or two before the election. Um, I think most people in the business did think it was going to go much worse for Democrats than this. Um, the problem is it, it eliminates a, a bunch of pressure on Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if the uh, Republicans had taken both houses of the Congress and had sort of what people were expecting, the pressure on Biden to um, step down or to face a challenge would have been much higher. Uh so what's going to happen in the short run is there's not going to be a race on the Democratic side. People are going to wait. With a looming recession, uh, that could be very bad news for Democrats in 2024. If I were a Democratic strategist, I would be praying fervently that Donald Trump declare tonight right. yes. that he wants to be president and start running hell-bent for leather. That's what I'd be praying for, because Donald Trump is the single biggest turnout factor for the Democratic Party. Yeah. Now, uh, within the Democratic Party, I find this interesting. So Doug Emhoff, who is the the second gentleman, he's Kamala Harris's husband. He's been going around to Democratic gatherings and Democratic fundraisers and making it very clear that if Biden doesn't run, they are, and they expect their support as a torch being passed. Uh, I want to talk a bit about what this does to say Gavin Newsom, as we're all three sitting here in California and pay California taxes. Here's our governor. Uh, If you're Gavin Newsom right now and you had a very busy, high profile before this election, a lot of which was based on complaining about your party, griping about crummy messaging, saying that we're about to get beaten. We frankly, we have it coming to us. 
How does Newsom, Dave and Doug, if he wants to remain national, um, how does he now kind of adjust his message? Because as Doug alluded to, you've got to sit around and wait for the president of the United States to make up his mind. But what what is Newsom's play now? I think he got hurt by the this election because his his advantage was it looked like the Democratic Party's in disarray. Yeah. Uh, we're going to lose the House. We're going to lose the Senate. Where Oh, we don't have the bench. It's really old. Look at how old people are. Look at me. I got a white charger. I'm coming in and I'm advertising in Florida. I'm advertising all over. I want to be president. I think this hurt him. And moreover, it, 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 it's possible that with the proper amount of campaigning and funding, the Democrats could have won a couple of House seats that would have made a difference in the Democrats and keeping the majority in the House. So I think he's hurt by it. I think he got hurt by the election. I just wrote a column on this and now I'm scared because I'm thinking like, Brady, help me, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is no demand for a Democrat to uh, challenge Biden right at the moment. Uh, I'm not saying that will change, uh, won't change in six, nine months. But um, Democrats, I'm pretty confident, will sit on the sidelines for a while and, uh, you know, get some popcorn and watch uh, Trump and DeSantis go at it. Yeah, but they can't they can't sit on the sidelines forever. And if you look at uh, what's happening in New Hampshire senator from minnesota has been going there they're 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 oh there are a lot of people who would like to be president but it's not going to now is not the time to announce that yeah now i'm not saying announce but there it doesn't mean even if you don't announce it doesn't mean you can't be doing the kind of things you need to do uh raising money visiting the uh, opening states so on so forth they'll be doing that yeah so there were some democrats that were helped by uh this election i would say gretchen whitmer is definitely in that category mm-hmm. um you know from a swing state and winning a, a big majority in, in the election but i just think it's going to be wait and see at this point um yeah there's no advantage in announcing uh, how long do you wait and see you can't wait two you can't wait a year well no, no but he so you can to wait to the next summer Right. He'll have to make up his mind by the summer. Months. He's he's cognizant of this. And uh, the best part of months. this is where the interesting game, this is where the waiting game is interesting. The longer he waits, I argue, the better for the vice president. So in some regards, the longer he waits is kind of a measure of their relationship, I think. I, I actually don't see her. I think if he steps down, it's certainly not going to be the case that they hand it to her. Well, it won't be handed to anybody, but she does have a claim on uh you know, being loyal and, uh, you know, a black woman is 58 percent. that She she had she was a black woman when she ran for president the first time. She didn't run a very right. good campaign. Yeah, well, but his, she's as, Willie Brown, as Willie Brown pointed out, why are you running for president? And I don't think anyone thinks that she's um, increased her standing with the public as vice president. But oh. she is if Biden decides not to run. She will definitely be there, and I agree with Bill. Will run. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's, I, yeah, history. Yeah. History shows us it's a very as much as people like to make fun of the vice president. Going back to John Nance Garner, at least in terms of getting your party's nomination, it's a great office to hold. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be in the lieutenant governor of California. It's a job you don't have a lot of responsibilities, but boy, it sounds really good on paper. And people, ooh, lieutenant governor, he or she must really be important. I I, I guess I don't see. So first of all, would you bet Biden would endorse uh, Biden would. Uh, uh, endorser? No, well, he's going to no. do. Biden, Biden will do with her. No, he would not endorse her. What but... Obama did for him, right? Nothing. 
No, but you get into a very you get into a very beltway game of who do the Biden people like and who would the president prefer. And you, know, you saw some of this in 2016 with Obama and his relationship with Biden, his relationship with Hillary. Yeah, he didn't back he didn't back Biden. No, he didn't. Uh, let's spend a few minutes on polarization um, in this uh, election, uh, Doug. Especially gaps in education and gender. Yeah. So the gender gap. Uh, from the exit polls was about uh, 10 points or even 11 points, which is larger than usual, which might be due to uh, the abortion issue. Abortion. Mm-hmm. And then it was off the charts, 20 plus point education gap um, that uh, so it's more polarization than we've seen in uh, the last five years uh, when people thought polarization was maxed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, OK, the. That that gap, the gender gap, ten points. It's eleven points. It's it's a couple points. It's been pretty much around eight to ten points. That's that's not too surprising. The the, the education, education gap going into the twenties is definitely surprising. And is it white people? It's white. This the, is the gaps among whites. Why? Right. Yeah. So the gap. Well, on the other hand, what you had whites. was continued softening of Democratic support among Hispanics down yes. to sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit of uh, softening among uh, African-Americans. That's, um, that's why I said when the show started, if you thought, if you're a Democrat and you thought this uh, is anything other than a respite, that, that was the wrong thing to think because it, they're, they're not, I don't see any reason to say that this is a, a harbinger of anything. They have all kinds of problems with their progressive wing and how they're going to deal with those. I thought what the election did show was that Americans are tired of uh, uh, extremes on the left and on the right. Okay, one other segment of the vote, I'll let you get your thoughts on the suburban vote. Uh, I'm also curious, as you two are political scientists, why do we obsess over women in the suburbs? seems we are always trying to find some label for moms, soccer moms, security moms, (laughs) or so forth. But every election in America seems to come (laughs) down to what women in the suburbs seem to think. (laughs) Well, there are white women in the suburbs are a swing group. Yes. Uh, whereas white men uh, are not a swing group any longer. Uh, the Democrats have basically substituted middle-class whites with higher education for uh, lower education, working-class whites. So the parties have flipped. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, uh, Republicans would win the suburbs easily and Democrats would win the uh, working-class whites uh, in the South and Midwest in particular. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Okay. Uh, did you guys catch David Brooks column from the other day, the headline, the fever is breaking. Uh, this is a very interesting read. I thought uh, he had a phrase he called uh, what happened on Tuesday night, a referendum against in his terms, performative populism. And this wasn't just a shot at Trump, it was also a shot at AOC, and he got her feathers in a ruffle. Here's what he wrote about AOC, quote, The left has its own smaller version of performative populism. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez became a major political figure thanks to her important contributions to Instagram. And he added, quote, The Green New Deal is not a legislative package, but a cotton candy media concoction. Well, I did a, I did a, little, I did a little quick look to see how Bernie and AOC's endorsements did. Mm-hmm. Not, not too well. They endorsed uh, two senators. They both lost. Uh, they they went after. Uh, they got rid of. They Kraus in Nevada second. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas fifteen. They lost that. They lost Oregon. They got rid of. Uh, they got rid of the Kurt Schrader in Oregon's fifth. 
and then uh, they lost it to a Republican. So I, I mean, I, I just, I just think that that wing of the party causes moderates to lose and drives the party further left and further away from the American people. Mm-hmm. And that's a place where Republicans could pick up an advantage if it wasn't for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Doug, Doug, what do you think AOC's future is? Well, she's a media talent. Uh, that dig at uh, her contributions on, uh, to Instagram was pretty good. Yeah, uh, She's not in the middle of the Democratic Party. She's on the left wing. Right. Wait. While the Democrats have some problems there, uh, you know, it was certainly a problem in uh, the 2020 primaries when uh, Democratic candidates came out for defunding the police and abolishing ICE and Medicare for all. Um, I don't think the Democrats in Congress have the same problem with the Progressive Caucus that Republicans have with the uh, Freedom Caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, that they played pretty well with, at least with Pelosi as Speaker uh, in the House. Uh, with a few exceptions, with a few exceptions, they did. But they'll now they'll uh, progressives will be a higher portion of the Democratic Party now than they were, but they will not be as high a portion as the as they could have been. Caucuses. Yeah, as the as the caucuses. Yeah, if the Democrats had lost 30 seats, the seats they would have lost would have been more moderates. Right. And they would have well, had a they lost were. Right. And they would have had a conversation about leadership, which I guess will not happen now. Pelosi will, apparently is going to come back and and want to be minority leader for at least two years. But a question That's moving right. forward. So I just I just looked up uh, AOC's uh, age just to see how old she is. She turns 35 in 2024. And I just <laughs> looked up Bernie Sanders' age, and he was born in 1941. So my crude math tells me he'll be 83 years old come the time of the 2024. For elections, so you so have somebody average out to a perfect age for a presidential ticket. Well, yeah. I mean, if you could, could put the two into a blender and come out with a mix, I mean, yeah, you're somewhere in the fifties, I guess. But here's the question: I mean, could you see either of them running for? I'm assuming here Biden does not run in 2024, so it's the premise here. But if he doesn't run, then there is obviously the lane for that that Democratic Socialist to run. But she is, you know, just on the verge of 35, so maybe too young. But my gosh, he's going to be pushing 83, so maybe too old. Is there, is there anything in between? Well, I mean, that's what Newsom, that's where Newsom was trying to uh, position himself. But there are there are some governors, et cetera. Well, but, I actually, but, actually, I'm going to I'm going to push back on that, Dave, because Newsom yeah. actually has been telling any reporters willing to listen that he actually is a moderate by California standards, and he did go out of his way in the last bill signing session to veto a lot of spending measures. So he's at least I trying agree. to he is he's trying California. to get he's trying to give the image that nationally he's not he's not California crazy. I I I accept that by California yeah. standards he's not, but and and I think that he would would have been uh, compared to AOC and Bernie would have been more moderate. But yeah. I just want you to picture a crowded Democratic field like in 2020, when at the debate they asked, "How many of you are in favor of eliminating private insurance? How many of you are in favor of abolishing ICE? How many of you are in favor of it?" They were all they all stood up, and mm-hmm. and it was clever. Uh, they saved the Democratic Party by getting Biden in. So I, I don't see why you wouldn't have the same thing in 2024. Well, maybe they learned the lesson. Sure. Well, let's play this out for a minute. So how many absent Biden running for reelection? How many lanes are there in a Democratic presidential field? Politicians are driven by ambition. Yes. So there will be no shortage of people willing to run if there's any kind of opening. 
Right. But I think you had, what, about a dozen, at least in 2016 on the Republican yeah. side, all planning to be the beating heart and soul of the Republican Party. So would you see yeah. a dozen Democrats? Uh, if Biden decides not to run, yes, you will see yeah. a dozen candidates. And my, what I want to know is who who is the uh, who's the Joe Biden Biden who's the moderate who's the moderate that can come out of that that could actually as in twenty win. Well, that might be asking where's the New England Republican in the presidential field. So yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> these ships may have sailed. I'm afraid to say. By the way, somebody doesn't get much attention on the Democratic side. Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado. Yep. Yeah, he had a good election uh, night. Yeah, and Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania had a great night. Yeah, you. So I expect a lot of them are, uh, as as I used to say in the Senate every morning in the Senate every morning, when a hundred senators get up and they're brushing their teeth or whatever they're doing, all of them are thinking I would be a better president. They're brushing their teeth and whistling "Hail to the Chief" while they're doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, one other scenario to throw at you. Let's move forward to 2023, and Donald Trump is running for president, and Joe Biden is running for president. And if these exit polls would believe anywhere from 55 to 65 percent of the public does not want this matchup, what about a third party movement in America? And I don't mean in terms of actually getting electoral votes because they will not win a state, but in terms of somebody coming in like a John Anderson or like a Ross Perot and playing a spoiler. Possible, unlikely. Because, Doug is making all kinds of disgusted faces. <laughs> well, if you're going to do that, I mean, if you're going to do that, you may as well run within a party. There are like certain bets that you can be guaranteed a winning. Um, so one is a, a brokered convention. Another is a third party uh, candidacy uh, winning uh, the election. Um, yes, the candidate pledging to serve one term and that's it, right? Those that replace the Electoral College as high school debate terms, no. <laughs> right. I, I do want to talk about this for a minute because, you know, third-party movements, third-party candidates come out of a public frustration or a public disgust with the two alternatives. You know, Ross Perot in right. 1992 is a good example of this. So, you know, if there is a public, you know, revolt against Biden and and Trump, is it just based on personality? Is it based on longevity? Because they now there will be kids. I think their combined age would be 160 years by then. But uh, so what's what's the opening for a third party candidate? Well, it it, it basically requires a billionaire, yes, uh, that's willing to lose a, a billion dollars uh, on a likely lost cause. Um, but that could happen, obviously, or or a celebrity, um, and. Yeah, you're you're right. What it is is a spoiler role, right? Or so you could do what you could do what the guy running for mayor of Los Angeles did. Oh, but that's a, that's become a, a Democrat. No, he had billions. A, he had like had a lot of money. He became a Democrat. And yep. and the problem with third party candidates is Donald okay. Trump. You know, he wasn't really a Republican. I mean, he was a registered Democrat for a long time. He gave money to Democrats. All of a sudden, he decides to run the Republican primary. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's the problem with the third party candidate. I I personally would uh, like to see a third party in the United States that had about ten Senate seats, like the FDP, the Free Democratic Party in uh, Germany, which uh -huh. could uh, tilt the part tilt the part bring the parties back from the left and the right and put them in the middle because they need their votes. But I don't see it happening. So Dave and Doug, what and is I think the Elon Musk is uh, prohibited from running. Uh, it's born yes. in South Africa, right? Thank yes. God for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to hanging out at Doug Rivers Beach House in 2025 after uh, Mike Bloomberg <laughs> makes a rich yeah. for polling. <laughs> but no, there's he there's made a, some consultants very wealthy, and uh, 
a very short campaign in 2020. We, we here in California have been joking about the uh, people working for the Caruso campaign in Los Angeles that, yeah, they're getting some nice beach houses out of that $100 million, $100 million budget. But no, if there is a such a thing as a third party movement here, what what is its sweet spot? What What is the void that the two parties are not addressing? Reason. And please, please, please don't go into the obligatory good government mode here. No, it's not. Just reason. I'm not. Look, look, here's Trump running. Here's Biden running. First of all, I'm not 900 years old. Secondly, I'm not a lefty or a righty and I'm not going to talk. He's just I'm reasonable. Yeah. Right, but, but a lot of this is driven. Been by tried many times. It doesn't work. A lot of this oh, is driven yeah, by, it, it affected yeah. elections. Ross Bro certainly affected the uh, yes. 1992 election. He, right, but, he you, took it but, away he, from but, but in 92, Perot seized on themes like government spending, whereas we complain about Biden and Trump. We're complaining largely about Trump's personality and and you know Biden's you know mental acuity. So I'm curious as to really what policies a third party candidate would take up. Well, there was talk in 2016 that if it were Sanders versus Trump, that um um, or in 2020, even that there would be an opening for somebody like Bloomberg, but he turned out not to be that great a candidate. Right. You could try to thread the needle if the Republicans and Democrats are too far apart on the extreme. In theory, there should be a place in the middle, but in practice, it just doesn't seem viable. Mm-hmm. Now, you two guys, you two guys run a tracking poll. So tell me post-election now what you're tracking. Well, I hate to say it, but we're starting to ask trial heats uh, for 2024. Uh, <laughs> so it begins. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they mean much at this point. So <laughs> um, I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, back to that point, I do think that it's possible for a third party candidate to get affect the election result. Can't I don't think they win. Because Ross Perot came, uh, Ross Perot did very well, actually, in uh, 1992. And he certainly affected the results. And I don't mean affect in the small sense that Nader did by the hanging Chad ballots in Florida in uh, 2000. I mean, he really affected the uh, winner of the race. Yes. Took many more votes uh, away from Bush than he did from Clinton. Okay, final question, guys. Uh, Point ahead academics like us love divided government, because we talk about checks and balances at all time. But here's a problem with divided government. Divided government can be non-productive government. So what's your, what are your thoughts? What's your gut tell you about 2023? And this gets back to what we started with the Congress back in 1917. But do you see much happening in this Congress in the next year or so? And just based on your polling, Dave and Doug, what does the public want Congress to do? Besides just act better. I don't, care about the poll. I don't care about the polling as a citizen. I'm, I'm very happy. What, 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 what are they going to do? What, what, what are the Democrats going to pass? Well, you're not going to get any more stimulus. Inflation some more. I mean, come on. And what, gonna, what are the Republicans going to pass? You're well, not going to get any more stimulus. Electoral rules. You guys won't get any more stimulus checks. So I didn't get any anyway. As a citizen, I, I would like government to not be so dysfunctional. Um, you know, there was an era in which uh, you had Democratic Congresses for uh, 40 some years, um, but frequent Republican presidents and uh, budgets got passed and bills got passed and so forth. Um, uh, nominations got approved. Um the fact that Democrats will control the Senate will keep, you know, things like the Garland appointment to the Supreme Court from happening in the next two years. Uh, but I don't see any 
significant legislation being passed. I, I want to pursue just a little bit on that. He's for, I, I didn't say I was opposed to, I was in favor of government dysfunction. What I wanted to know was of the two parties, which one, if they had full control of government, would be doing functional government in your view? I'm happy when they're at a stale. <laughs> hey, we're just hacks uh, arguing the politics. Uh, <laughs> well, that's fine. That's He asked the question. I just want to know what you mean by this. Well, you would like budgets to be passed and debt limits not to be uh, uh, cliffhangers and things like that. Even though the debt even though the budget I don't is think really high? Well, uh, not passing the debt limit extension is <laughs> not going to reduce the debt. Um, and I don't think... You know, looking forward to investigations of Hunter Biden um, or uh, impeachment inquiries. Uh, I don't think the public really wants that. And I think those will actually <laughs> hurt Republicans in the House if that's the direction they go. I think these are great uh, polling questions to put forward to ask the public if there's an appetite to uh, investigate the the withdrawal from Afghanistan, if there's an appetite to investigate Hunter Biden, if there's an appetite to somehow impeach Joe Biden. I think I know what the answer on that one will be. Uh, Is there an appetite to go after cryptocurrency right now? And that uh, that fellow who gave a lot of money. That'll be fascinating, by the way, to see how the Senate Democrats handle crypto versus House Republicans. So I imagine we'd like to string up current crypto people, whereas Democrats got a lot of money out of crypto this last cycle. Well, that I think uh, SBF, the, yes. the the lead donated about thirty million to Democrats, but his co CEO donated twenty four million to Republicans. Um, so there's probably less there than meets the eye. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there think, hasn't think, been effective regulation. I think, I think what that. Dave was getting at was, you know, you bring in a Republican Congress and a Republican president. And they seem to forget there's such a thing as fiscal discipline and fiscal conservatism. They just spend money like crazy because they can. You bring in Democrats and they seem to forget we're kind of a balanced country. So they engage in a lot of social engineering. And so Mm -hmm. the public, I guess the public wants a balance. But again, my question is, what is the public telling us in terms of what we want out of Congress? I guess guess maybe the the answer is- In 2021 and 2022 would not have been passed if the Republicans held either house of Congress. So um, I don't think we're going to see out of control spending uh, the next two years. So that'll make Dave happy. That is. uh, Isn't it fascinating, by the way, to think that Donald Trump had not done what he did in Georgia after the election, that you probably have one or two Republican senators. And boy, is it a different world. So the least happy uh, person in Washington uh, must be uh, Mitch McConnell for the second time in a row. Uh, Trump has deprived him of a majority in the Senate. And I want to imagine he's having some good stiff bourbons at this moment. I I want, I hope, well, he's got good bourbons from Kentucky. I I do want to say that (laughs) the the Georgia race is going to be interesting. I, the question is, what are the odds that Trump comes back in and does the same thing he did in 2021? And uh, because I don't think he's capable of going into the state and not talking about the 2020 election. And let's get Doug, and let's get Doug to close on that because Doug, one thought is now that Nevada has been called for the Democrats, the Senate is settled. So you've kind of pricked the balloon here. You've taken the air out of that race. So has this become a more just kind of base turnout election between Republicans and Democrats? And who has the advantage here? As I've heard people argue both sides of this. Yeah, uh, I don't know that, but the turnout story is fascinating. So. Um, current estimate is uh, turnout's going to be somewhere between. Oh, I don't know, 112 and 100 and 
15 you, million. And you have Florida to have voted. Dropped, uh, um, the Florida it, estimate, Doug, is one, 112 million, 220,000. And you have to have voted, yeah, he's, he's you have to have voted this cycle to vote in the runoff. Also. So, That's the other so there, there are 5 million ballots outstanding in uh, California at the moment that have <laughs> not been counted. Um, and uh, those are going to, well, in any event, um, the turnout this year was below 2018. Yeah. But the real comparison is versus 2014. Uh, in 2022 and 2018, the turnout was uh, 122 million in 2018 and, you know, on the order of 2014 turnout was 36 million and that was a sort of not terribly low turnout for midterm elections. What state you're talking about? What state? Or the whole country? The whole country. Whole country. We are living in a world where turnout is an order of magnitude higher than it was uh, previously yes. in midterm elections. Um that that's higher level turnout than we had in presidential elections um through most of the early 2000s um, and is this is this as simple as donald trump doug that just donald trump just raises donald trump and the reaction to trump so if trump goes away will we revert to the sort of normal sleepy american politics um so i view george as an interesting test of this um for trump there's a real downside if he comes in and loses again mm -hmm. um you know the one thing trump hates is being considered a loser Yes, so there's some incentive for him to stay out and just let whatever happens not be his fault. But he's congenitally unable to do that. Um, and so if he comes into Georgia, my guess is he'll make that runoff, even though it's for the 51st seat, uh, a high turnout election. If he right. stays away, it's a good test of what happens in a world without Trump. I assume DeSantis will make an appearance. I would assume perhaps Glenn Youngkin might want to go down to Georgia if he's asked. Uh, who on the Democratic side, Dave and Doug, besides Barack Obama, president, the vice president? Well, I think Biden had the good sense to stay out of stay the out midterm of election. Okay. And you had this weird situation where normally a midterm is a referendum on the incumbent. Mm -hmm. um, here it was one candidate versus another, Trump versus uh, Biden and the rest of the Democrats. Um, so I, you know, I, I think Biden will probably stay away, but it's, uh, if he, if he thinks that this election was a big, a big win, uh, you know, losing by, uh, the house by narrow amounts is not actually, uh, a big victory. It's big in comparison to what was expected. So who, Biden so who, would be well advised to stay out. In my so opinion. who, who then is a good democratic surrogate other than Barack Obama? I don't see Gavin Newsom uh, generating a lot of positive buzz and for Raphael Warnock in Georgia. No, I don't think, well, I think a bunch of Democrats wants. will come who yeah. aren't as much a lightning rod as Biden. Because yeah. they, the Democrats do not want to turn this into a referendum on, um, do you approve of Biden? Because fifty-five percent of the public doesn't approve of Biden. This is something I cannot uh, emphasize enough. Uh, uh, spending time in South Carolina as I do, uh, having watched uh, Tim Scott's race, having watched Governor McMaster's race, the local congressional race with Nancy Mace, uh, very few 
policy ads. It's all about nationalizing the race. And you see just Joe Biden and uh, and AOC and Nancy Pelosi around the clock. So you're right. They'll do the same thing in Georgia. Yeah. And Herschel Walker's debate performance was to repeat that uh, <laughs> Warnock was uh, supported uh, Biden, whatever it was, 97 percent of the time. I thought that in the long, I was, I was sort of surprised that Warnock finished ahead. I think he finished ahead about 35,000 ballots. Uh, and in an era in which the split ticket voting, uh, I think the fact that Kemp is not at the head of the ticket, uh, mm-hmm. that's going to hurt a little bit. And I, I do think that Donald Trump is uh, going to come into the state. The good question is who, who for the Democrats? I can't think of anybody except Obama. Well, and there's one final question here, and I'll let you take it, uh, uh, Doug, and then we'll sign off. And that is uh, Republicans coming home in this race. Uh, whereas in Pennsylvania, you saw um, Oz uh, in the Senate race outperform Mastriano in the gubernatorial race. You had the opposite effect in Georgia, where Kemp by far outperformed Herschel Walker. Now, yeah. in theory, all of those Kemp voters can vote in this election because they participated. If you did not participate in the general election, you can't vote in the runoff, but you can now vote in the runoff if you want to. Are all those Kemp supporters going to now flock to Herschel Walker's defense, or are they going to stay away? Well, I, I doubt uh Walker is going to be a better candidate than he was before. It's pretty much right. a rerun of the same thing. Right. Um, but I think this is a case of where, you know, Warnock was at one point above Walker. Um, so that's ripe for a turnout effect. If there's differential turnout between Democrats and Republicans, yeah. then um, that could decide this race one way or the other. But I, think turn- it's worse. I think it's worse for Republicans because they can't this. This is not going to give them the Senate. Yeah, the stakes are lower. Stakes are low for them. Yeah. That most yes. people, most people aren't going to think, "Oh God, fifty-one, forty-nine, or fifty-fifty. Uh, I think I think that 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 hurts them a bit. Okay, guys. Well, this is a fun podcast. Question for you: uh, Do we talk politics at the Brady and Rivers Thanksgiving dinners, or do we just take a time out from politics? <laughs> I just get beat up. I just get beat up by a daughter, so I don't. I try not to talk about it. No, you probably turn off. My family (laughs) agrees on everything, so we don't have this problem. Sounds good. Well, guys, thanks for the podcast today. I hope you have a great holiday, and uh, we will pick up soon when we're lost on because you know what? Politics politics never stops. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the globe. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's spelled at Hoover, I-N-S-T. Dave Brady is not on Twitter, but Doug Rivers is. His Twitter handle, I think he's still on Twitter. I haven't checked lately. His Twitter handle is at Doug underscore Rivers. And YouGov, his excellent polling firm, that's at YouGov, spelled Y-O-U-G-O-V. I mentioned our website at the beginning of the show. That is www.hoover.org. Or there, sign up for the Hoover Daily there is the best work of Dave Brady and Doug Rivers and their colleagues to your inbox weekdays. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon after the holiday with new installments of matters of policy and politics. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.